Fundamental Life Podcast. Okay, so welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fundamental Life Podcast. We are here to party with y'all today. Matthew, how you doing, bro? I'm doing good, you know, I can't complain. I mean, it's always like Thursdays. Thursdays are good because I feel like every day is Thursday. Every day is Thursday, especially for the last five months. Yeah. No bueno. No. But you said you like Thursdays. I do, because, you know, it's every day of my life. So it's like, if I can't like the day that I'm on, why not? You know, what am I going to do? So raise your hand if you listen to the last seven podcasts. Ta-da. Oh, there's only three of us in the room. But um, hopefully you've dove in, listened to a lot of our content. We have a lot of mortgage material on there. And then uh, last week, we spoke to uh, Marcus, kind of went through his life journey. Uh, It's good to... uh, hear that. And I think that, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know if you do. I listen to a few. I listen to Marcus's. Yeah. Marcus's is great. Um, yeah, everyone should, uh, should check that out. So with the podcast that I listen to, one thing that I love is, uh, real life people, right? It's easy to, uh, to listen to someone who has made a lot of money and you can't really put yourself in their shoes or someone who's talking about, how to be successful or all these different platforms. Right. But I love to hear, uh, the stories of average everyday people and how they got to the place they're at. Um, and that's, that goes for a variety of places that's in leisure, that's in their work life, that's, uh, in what they enjoy doing, kind of their progression, their upbringing. I find those stories, uh, interesting. And so today we're going to go down that path a little bit. I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk about this, because this is this is a story of the ages. This is this right here. This is the history of Christian Roberts Mortgage. Well, we're not going to start there, though. Okay, I'm going to surprise you. Oh, and by the way, for those listening, uh, Matt and I don't really sit down and say like what bullet points we're going to talk about. I think uh, that he said, "What are we going to What are we going to talk about our podcast this week?" And I said, I, I don't know, what, what would you like to talk about? And he threw out a topic, and I was like, done, do it. And here we are, now we're on the mic. So um, I'm going to throw Matt for a little bit of a curveball, and I'm going to ask you a few questions about you, okay? Okay. And But before I do that, um, if you know anything about Mr. Arnold, he is the hardest working man on planet Earth period. Okay. The guy can work anyone into the ground. He, he needs very, very little sleep. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, anything he sets his mind out to do, generally he accomplishes. Sometimes it takes a long time, right? Yeah. He's got a smile on his face, but I want to ask you, uh, just a little bit about, um, your upbringing, um, a little bit about where you got the talents that you have now, and so, and you don't have to get too personal unless you want to, but tell the listeners a little bit about where you were raised, um, some things that you, uh, maybe some attributes or things that you have now, how you, how you gleaned those growing up. Um, just basically tell us a little bit about your upbringing into your professional life. We'll get into your professional life, but tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Okay. Uh, I, I always preface my life, basically, I got to say that 
when I get tired, I get emotional. So that's why if I ever like get emotional, I always just tell everybody, dude, I'm just tired. Just bear with me. So if I get a little emotional talking about different things, just, you know, I'm just tired today. That's all that it is. So um, I grew up in West Valley and West Valley's, uh, it's kind of got a little bit of a bad rap, you know, um, the mayor out there, uh, Mayor Winder, he did, uh, he had a campaign. It was, um, best Valley. We got to change the name. We got to change the mantra. It's best Valley. And he really tried to clean a lot of things up and brought a lot of, uh, commerce out there. And I appreciate what he did. Um, but I grew up on a smaller agricultural farm. So like I, my house sat exactly where my dad's barn did when he was a kid. So like my neighbors growing up on roughly about, I want to say about eight acres was, um, there was us, my family, and then my grandmother, and then my aunt and uncle, and then my other aunt and uncle. And we all just shared this big plot of land. And we grew everything. So here's the thing. I can't grow anything now, but I sure can pick it. I mean, that's what, <laughs> that's what I did. Like every, every morning, that was my job is I had to uh, pick a bushel of tomatoes. Now, <clears throat> I don't know what a bushel is. I just knew that it was a big, I don't know, like basket that was, uh, you know, made out of like wood. Did you say tomatoes? Yeah. Tomatoes. So we, we grew tomatoes and corn, and that's what, that's what uh, you know, my aunt and uncle sold. They had, like, a little stand. So, like, if you go out to Draper, and they have those little stands, and they sell fresh, you know, produce, that's what they did. So um, every morning I'd get up, and I'd, I'd pick a bushel of tomatoes, and um, for as long as I can remember, and it was, it, it, they would get so heavy that you, you couldn't carry the basket anymore. I just I'd have to take tomatoes back to it. So um, that's what it was like when I grew up. Um, you were about uh, was that about forty seven hundred south. So for those listening, uh, the Salt Lake Valley has uh, several different towns, and it's kind of set up in a grid system because uh, this valley was was organized by the Mormons. That's who uh, came here. Brigham Young came here. Organized us on this grid system. Was you go throughout the grid system from downtown Salt Lake, you go from Salt Lake to, uh, oh geez, Holiday, Sugar House, West Valley, um, Taylorsville, you get out to South Jordan. There's all these little uh, cities that, that lie in the valley that spans about, what, 20 miles? Yeah, I would say. To the point of the mountain until you get into Utah County. But Taylorsville kind of sits, uh, or West Valley, I should say, it kind of sits in the middle of the valley, just on the west side of I-15, which is our major corridor. I mean, you run about 4,700 south, yeah? 4,700 south and 3,600 west. Was, we were right on that corner. And it's uh, it's been developed a lot now. Like, uh, when I was 14, they sold it all off and turned it into a gas station. And now there's an all-a-dollar sits exactly where my house used to. But my house is still there. That's kind of the interesting thing is they broke it off the foundation, picked it up, spun it around, dropped it on a new foundation, and my aunt and uncle moved into it. That's crazy. Yeah. And you, it was on eight acres. Can you imagine sitting on eight acres in this valley right now? That's uh-huh. a lot of land. That's just that's very, very rare. That was like in uh, late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, yeah it was uh, beginning of the 80s. Okay. And so, like, 
after, like, to give you an idea, like, um, Bangor Highway, it runs right through where our farmland used to be. So, um, you know, if you cross 4700 South on Bangor Highway, you'll you'll drive across where we used to play. Named after Governor Bangor. That's right. I grew up in Idaho, but I remember when that went in. Yeah. It was, uh, anyway, a uh, big deal when that went in. So, it was the first time it had that corridor, but... Um, growing up like that, it's, it's interesting. My dad, um, and I've, I talked about this on the last podcast is he was, that's the way he was raised is just, you work all day, you give it everything you got. And when I was about, geez, I have to think about this. I was about seven or eight years old. My brother was having like a, a thing at the house and my dad sent me out to clean up the side yard. And, uh, anyway, I went out and like cleaned up all this garbage and all these things. And I came back and I said, Hey dad, is that good enough? And he told me, he's like, Hey, a real man knows the difference between a job that is done and a job that is good enough. And so for me that, that sunk in that it was like, it didn't matter how long it took, only that the job was done. So I went back out and, you know, did it to, I guess, um, what I would consider done. I've heard you say that. I've heard you uh, make that statement because um, I've worked with you for a long time. But what's cool about that, and uh, I don't and I don't mean to, to make Matt get emotional, but when we talk about our parents and some of the things that we learn from them. This is uh, kind of a, a teaching moment for myself and everybody else. Kids watch what you do, not what you say. And I know your dad and he's a hardworking man and he's got a lot of integrity and you know, our dads are stuck in their ways a little bit, but the things that they instilled on, on us, particularly uh, your dad, Phil, that work ethic, I know that a good portion of your work ethic comes from him. And you know how that how valuable that is. Who if I okay, so let me let me flatter you for a second. So when you look at that work ethic and then you go you fast forward to where you are now. We're both in our forties. And the amount of people who have benefited from that work ethic, not only, you know, your wife and your and your children but all those that you've come in contact with, your coworkers, myself, but that comes from Phil, or at least a portion of it does. And so, and I, I don't want to give all the gratitude to your, to, or all the credit to your father, but I know uh, that's where I got a big portion of my work ethic. And so it's interesting that you say that because um, those statements, there's certain statements that stick with you, but you learn by watching, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is um, when you think about it, life is made up of moments. It's not necessarily, you know, you have memories and different things like that, but moments, they define us. And I'm just sorry. It's, it's, it, I've been thinking a lot about moments um, because on Sunday, I um, had to drop my daughter off at college, and it's uh, oh, it's tough to all those parents out there. 
I, I greatly apologize um, for overlooking how hard it is to let your kids go and know that uh, they're going to start a new adventure and you're excited for them and you're like, yes, so stoked. You guys are going to have a great life. And that's how I've looked at it. But now that it's come to fruition, it's like you look at it and you say, holy crap, you're going to start an adventure without me. And it's the first time that happens. And so, anyway, I've been very uh, nostalgic for the last week thinking about moments that I've had with my with my kids, you know. And that, like, as far as work ethic and different things like that, it's that's um, one of those moments that I'll forever remember. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean how how old we are but yeah you kind of still feel young bro oh yeah no for sure <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're just like we're a couple of young kids that uh, in my head anyway but we're not we're old dude it, it, it's funny is uh just the other day um we were talking and we were talking about marcus and steve says well marcus has got to be like what 35 36 and i was like no way man he's way younger than that and then i started thinking about it. i was like no i'm just that much older yeah. And so it's because uh, I always think, I'm like, no, no, Marcus is about eight years younger than me. So when he's like, yeah, he's like, what, 35, 36? I'm like, no, no, no. He's got to be like 25, 26. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm old. Yeah, we're uh, put, getting a little, I got grays, bro. You know, I'm going to be shaving my head here soon. I was telling my kids, I'll start shaving my head because I'm growing gray. And they're like, you're not going gray. And I'm like, <laughs> look closely. I'm going gray. You know, the beard, it, it go, it's going gray. That's all that stress, but so to, let, let's let's go back to kind of your journey. Uh, you shared with us um, picking the tomatoes, some uh, things that your dad shared with you, kind of the roots of who you are. Um, and then I know, uh, like myself, when you got into your teenage years, you know, you weren't the the, the most. Uh, I don't know how to put it. I wouldn't say you were a vandal. But you were not progressing down a path that was going to lead you to be, you know, this, this signal of integrity for every kid around the world. You, oh, know, you yeah. know what I mean? No, it's true. And that's, that's one thing. It's uh, rebellious, um, not obedient. I mean, those, those are all excellent things that I would say. Um, I, uh, I'm not a school guy. I, like, I... The, the best way I can put it is, I, I described it once, is I don't believe in the senseless regurgitation of facts for only the purpose of making someone else feel like they've given me something. And so, like, U.S. history, yeah, I took it four times. And not because I failed, but I took it in grade school, I took it in junior high, I took it in high school, I took it when I was in college. It's like, dude, I get it. Leave me alone. I remember these facts, but it's one of those things where um, school became a problem. And so because I didn't want to go to school, um, I would not go to school, but I would do other things during the time I should have been in school. And when, because I'm the youngest of four, um, when you get to the youngest, your parents just kind of give up. I'm, I'm just being honest, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, We've raised everybody. The last kid's just kind of like forgotten. 
And so, um, yeah, I, I had a lot of free time. And because I had a lot of free time, I did a lot of things that, you know, teenage kids get into when they have free time. And that's not good stuff. Not good stuff. We, we don't need to go into detail. You can use, they can use their imagination. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, during that time, I wore size 40 pants, um, cut off at the bottoms, uh, shell toe, uh, Adidas, which I still wear to this day. Um, you know, flannels, button ups, my, I, we called them lokes and they were black sunglasses that were wide and then always had my hat on backwards, flat brimmed, snap back, you know, just, just living the dream, man. And, uh, you know, when I was, um, I don't know, when I was 18, I went, um, to a conference in Logan, Utah. And uh, I sat down, and there was this girl there, and her name was Melissa, and I'll never forget. And here I am, I got my long hair, I had five earrings, and I had a pack of camel wides in my front pocket. And, you know, I smelled like a chimney, and I sat down at dinner with this girl and I, you know, talked to her. She was very, very friendly and very, very nice. And I thought to myself, you know, because when you get to be 18, you start thinking about being a big year old and getting married and having kids. Adulting. Yeah, exactly. And so I looked at her and I thought to myself, you know, this is the type of girl that I would want to marry. And so then I started looking at her and I started thinking to myself, why would she want to marry me? I mean, I'm not the guy that you want to hit your wagon to at this point. You know, I have a lot of bad habits. I do a lot of bad things. Um, and I'm not going to attract someone like this. So it, it gave me pause and it gave me a chance to really do some self-evaluation. And, you know, I had a lot of good mentors at that time. You know, my uncle and a young men's president and, you know, a lot of people that reached out to me and helped you know, guide me on uh, on a good path, and uh, a year, let's see, it was about a year and a half later, I uh, served an LDS mission um, for two years in uh, the Michigan Lansing Mission. Yeah, which is where we met. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's pretty rad that uh, uh, I think people that you meet, so an LDS mission is I mean, most people know that are listening to this, but if you don't, um, you have the opportunity to go and uh, serve people in a, in another country or another state for a period of 24 months. And uh, that's where uh, Matt and I met. But what's what's cool about that is a lot of those people that you meet and become acquaintances with in the mission field, um, they have a similar goal and similar mindset as you. And those are some of my best friends uh, to this day, like yourself. Um, we've been business partners for 21, no, 20, 20 years, going on 21 years. Um, and uh, it's been great. We've, we're different. You and I are very, very different. Maybe we'll touch on, on partnerships and things. But um, yeah, when, when we met, um, our, even our upbringing was different. You were interested in different things than I was interested in. But we hit it off uh, really well when we were 19, or you were 20, 19, 20. In Michigan, Lansing Mission. And so um, for those who uh, know about missions and the success in missions, there's really 
Um, you can you can define it a lot of different ways, uh, how you impact people or whatnot. But if you look at numbers, um, Matt set some mission records, records for uh, conversions, and uh, it's not shocking to me. You know, it's it's uh, that's who he is, and you know the things that he learned from his father, and then he's translated that into his work life. But uh, we actually never got to serve together. Um, which I'm still pissed about, but I did my best. I did my best. <laughs> I used to write the mission president every week and say, you got to send me Saxton. And finally the mission president sat me down. I had two months left and he said, listen, there is only one elder Arnold and one elder Saxton and they will never serve together. <laughs> That's We either would have done some really good stuff or not, or some really, really shady <laughs> shit. I don't know which. <laughs> But I'm, I mean, that's that's in a nutshell. There's a lot of more, a lot more details there. But so when you you get home uh, from uh, the mission field in 1997, mm-hmm. um, what'd you do? Like, what'd you do when you got home? Because that's a time right now. It, a lot of kids are confused, man. They're like, do I go to college? Do I dive into work? Do I need to start looking for a wife? Like, what did you do? So the funniest thing about that, the second I stepped off the plane, because one thing is um, I'm a goal-oriented person. Like, I have to have goals. If I don't have goals, then I don't know what I'm doing. And so, and some of my goals are stupid, and some of them are really good, positive things. Um, And so when I stepped off the plane, I had a goal. And within seven days of getting off the plane, I was registered for school, I had a job, and I had a car. And that was like, and so within a week of getting home, I got home on a Wednesday, I started working at RC Willie on Monday. Furniture store. Yep. The furniture. The furniture store. Furniture store. And I, I worked in the warehouse, I moved furniture. Now when you look at me, you'd say, what, you moved furniture? I was like... It's all about leverage. That's all I'm going to say. I used to use, uh, like, move couches and appliances, and we used to we used to work really, 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 really hard. And uh, the reason I had that job lined up is right before I left on my mission, I worked at RC Willie, and my boss loved me. And I, dude, I loved him. His name was Dave, and uh, he came to me and right like month and a half before I was leaving and you know there was a concern about like monetarily being able to pay for things um to go on a mission and so I uh he came to me and he's like hey I need somebody to uh work a later shift because it was December and RC Willie's just slammed so he's like I need somebody to work later shift and I was like all right and he's like so will you work from two to ten and my at the time my job was from seven thirty to four o'clock, and I said, "You bet, I'll I will do that if you let me come in at seven thirty. And so every day I worked six days a week from seven thirty to ten. Jeez, yeah, and that's ultimately how I was able to pay to go on a mission. Yeah, because we don't you don't work when you're in the mission field. You've got to have that that cash. Um, 
So you got home and you reconnected with this guy? Yeah. Actually, it was funny is he called my mom um, like about a month before I got home. And he called and he's like, hey, this is Dave. Um, is Matt home yet? And she's like, no, he gets home on the 28th of February. And he's like, well, I knew he was coming. So you tell him that he's got a job. That's awesome. Yeah. What's Dave's last name? Uh, Hershey. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you, you started flopping furniture again. Yeah. All 130 pounds of you at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, Matt got chromes <laughs> when he was in the mission field, came, came home skinnier than he is now. And, uh, uh, so I can't imagine you trying to flop couches around with the, you know, the big boys over there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But, uh, yeah, like I said, it's all about leverage. <laughs> so, and then, uh, so I started school and I decided I was going to have a career. So, um, I put some deep, deep thought into it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a dentist. And why was I going to be a dentist? Because I've spent most of my life in a dentist chair, <laughs> um, growing up in uh west valley on a farm first and foremost i'll tell you hygiene was not top of the list in my household and uh that has since evolved and changed and so now i do brush my teeth every day and i do take a shower every day but when i was a kid that wasn't the case so um i decided you know i'm gonna be a dentist dentists do good and you know i i have a captive audience so they have to laugh at my jokes because I got my hands in their mouth. You know, I figured, you know, I'm a people person. That's what I am. I'm a people person. So I was going to be a dentist. So I started going to school and uh, I went and met with one of my dentists because I, I got to know all of them on a personal level because I saw them so much. And uh, we talked about the cost of dental school, the cost of setting up a practice, the cost of all these things. And uh, I was like, dude, that sounds terrible. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in that kind of debt. So I looked into um, joining the military because my stepfather at the time was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And, man, they got a good gig when it comes to, like, dental and schooling and all this stuff. And I figured, you know what, I can make it through boot camp. If I can move furniture, I can make it through boot camp. And uh, my mom was not about it. And so she came to me, and she's like, listen. Before you sign up with the military, why don't you come and meet with my boss? And I was like, all right, why? And she said, well, at the time she was an office manager and she worked for a company and they were having like a, a split. The two owners were going their separate ways. And so her boss was opening a new mortgage company, a, a brokerage firm. And she's like, why don't you come interview with my boss? Because here's the deal, means to an end. She's like, you can make good money. You can pay for your school. Um, you don't have to work full time. You can still be, you know, um, going to school. But then you don't have to join the military because she really didn't want me to join. So I was like, all right. So I went and sat down and met with her boss. And he, uh, he interviewed me and I wore my best suit. It was like blown out. And uh, it was one of my old missionary suits. Yeah, and, that, that thing was hammered. Indeed, <laughs> yeah. And uh, um, he's, he sat there and he's like, well, what do you know about mortgage? And I said, I don't know. It's got something to do with your house. 
I mean, I was the ripe old age of 21. I mean, it was June of 97, so I'd been home for four months. And he's like, cool, so why should I hire you? And I said, well, because I'll be your best salesman within six months. So he said, all right, well, I'll give you a shot. So they hired me, and he handed me a big stack of leads, and he's all, call these people. And I'm all, well, what am I supposed to say? He's like, well, tell them about the five areas of savings. And I was like, I don't know what that is. He's like, tell them you're going to save them a shitload of money. And I was like, okay. So that's what I did. I just got on the phone. I started calling people, and I'd say, I understand you're interested in a refinance. And they'd be like, yeah. And they're like, how much, you know, what, do you, what can you do for me? I'm like, we're going to save you a shitload of money. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, did I stutter? I said, shit load. <laughs> and so and then I would drive out to their house and I'd take an application and I'd take it back to my office and I'd give it to my boss and he'd look at it and tell me what we could do. And then I'd drive back out to their house and have them sign all their disclosures. And anyway, within 90 days, I was, I outproduced the next closest to me that had you know, a history in mortgage by double. And it was just um, because I would work. They went home at five o'clock and I would be out making visits, you know, meeting with people at their house at, you know, at seven, eight o'clock at night. So anyway, that's, uh, that's how I got, that's how I got into this field, this career. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what questions to ask you because I, I know the story. I haven't heard you you tell it in a long in a long long time, but um, you didn't know anything. I mean, yeah. when you started, it was like you 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 knew how to work. Yeah, right. That's that's basically and and so you, you got to understand that when it comes to uh, lending knowledge, um, there's a lot of guidelines. Uh, ton of guidelines that are boring right that these books are 12 1400 pages long and they're constantly changing and being revised and income calculation and all these different things the different agencies that we deal with and uh, Matt is like a wizard he is like a lone wizard and not only because he has a phenomenal memory right I mean you you know you have a phenomenal memory um, so he can remember everything, but the work ethic to just stay on top of it constantly. And so, I mean, that that's the fabric of who you are. That's in your DNA, that work ethic. And I'm a believer that anyone who has that work ethic can accomplish anything. You know, we, you and I have both read uh, David Goggins' book, mm-hmm. and uh, Can't Hurt Me. And it, David Goggins is a uh, uh, former Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, blah, blah, blah. He's an ultra athlete, does ultra marathons, and he wrote this book, Can't Hurt Me. And the dude was dumb. Like, he self-admittedly was dumb. And just through work ethic and grinding and memorization, um, but he, he had a lot of deficiencies, you know? And to be the world's, like, toughest man now, I don't think anybody's going to argue that. The no. dude is an animal. But at age 23, he was fat, out of shape, admittedly dumb, and his book takes you through this journey. And so I'm of the belief uh, that if you have a strong work ethic, 
you can overcome anything, even your intelligence, you know? And so I know you started grinding, going out, making these house calls, sitting down with people and basically kind of learning on the fly, like being thrown in with the, with the wolves, so to speak. Oh yeah. And you had a lot of success early, but then what happened after 90, 120 days, five months, six months, like what, what happened at that point? Well, so it's, uh, there's always been like motivation in, in the, in, in me. It's, uh, to be the best. It's never like, I'm never satisfied with second place, you know, even it doesn't, it just, even if I take second place, like I'm not satisfied, you know? So, and even if I take first, I'm not satisfied because I want to be even better. And so, um, I started studying, reading guidelines, uh, lenders would ship me like big spiral notebooks full of their guidelines and I'd read those and, it was uh, it was actually really funny because uh, people, I got in an argument with uh, one of our uh, lenders, and they're like, "Hey, you, uh, we can't do this loan." I was like, "No, no, you can," and she's like, "No," and so I was like, "It was right here. It's in your guidelines. It says right here you can do this." And her name was Don, and she's like, "Damn it, Matt, I'm going to stop sending you our guidelines." <laughs> I was like, "But Don, anyway." So it's uh, I kept studying and getting better and getting better and uh um i got engaged i was going to get married um and through various different things it didn't work out and um I, it it even drove me harder i wanted to do better because her her father was uh, he was affluent he was an attorney, and he was uh, very successful, and he, he lived in Texas. And so, and her mom was a school teacher uh, here in Utah. And so, um, I set the goal that I was going to make more money in a month than her mom did in a year. And so, it just drove me every single month. Because in mortgage, that's the, that's the thing is we all start off on the first at zero. And so that's how you measure it is every month is a new, is a new contest is a new, what am I going to do? And so anyway, that was my goal every single month. I'm going to make more than she did. And that drove me, man, for years, you know, even, even if I, even the months that I would accomplish it, I would say, I'm going to do it again. Only this time I'm going to double it. And anyway, I did that for, I did that for a long time. Let me ask you a question. Um, when you look at uh, motivation, um, having read David Goggins' book and you know what he says about motivation and whatnot, um, when you look at external motivation and you look at internal motivation, so uh, an example of that and why you, why you think about that, an example of that for those listening would be uh, like your son who plays football. Um, does he need the coaches? and parents and everyone to always tell him how great he is in order for him to go out and, and try his best or try his hardest? Or is he got this fire in his belly that drives him to really go out there and see himself succeed? Or does he have uh, goals that he wants that he set for himself? And so external is you need people cheering you on all the time. 
Uh, internal is more fire in your belly, grind, you know, grinding it through, but you don't need pats on the back. So for you, where would you say um, you get your motivation from? Um, it's going to sound stupid, but it's love. It, honestly, like I love, I love to work and I love to accomplish things and I love to look down and say, you know what? I did this. This is me. I did it. Um, you know, there's, there's even when like, when I paint, when I do different things like that, I appreciate like, don't like everybody loves compliments. Everybody loves when people say, dude, you slayed that, you know, or way to go. But for me, I, I do it because I love, uh, to give it. And so like somebody asked me once about painting, they're like, you know, why are you good? And honestly, like you feel it, you feel that love because I do it for love. I don't do it for money. What keeps you motivated at work? Like when it comes to monetary gain, I, I, I love the guys I work with, love you, uh, love what I do, but I wouldn't be here if it didn't pay the bills. Right. I'd be with Marcus riding a KTM and enjoying that. I'd be with my son riding his mountain bike. I'd be riding my snowmobile, which, by the way, I'm going to do a lot this year, <laughs> just forewarning you. Oh, no. And I hope you do, because last year you got screwed. There was no snow. <laughs> I, rode, I rode some last year, but <laughs> what keeps you motivated at work? Um, and I'm genuinely interested in what you're going to say. Yeah. it's uh, What motivates me is, again, what you just said about being a wizard. You know, And I've had a lot of people refer to me as a lone wizard. That like, and so for me, it's like keeping that, that going. Cause I know if I lay off the gas that you lose some of that. It's, it's like going to the gym, you know, if you don't go to the gym for a month, you start losing strength. I look at myself right now. Like I used to be able to knock out like 50 pull-ups. Now it's like, if I can do 10, that's something. And so it's, uh, it's one of those things where if you don't stay on your game, you start losing your game. And where my motivation of uh, wanting to be the best, not just an also ran. And so it's, it's one of those things where um, when, when I decide and we decide, I should say, like, to be done, I'm going to have to be done. Like, it's not like, okay, we're going to, like, slowly phase out. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be done. When I think about uh, kind of where we're at, you know, in our careers or in our, in our business, um, those, are, that, that, those days are tough. I've been around a lot of uh, self-employed guys, like self-starters um, in my life. Uh, I come from that. And... Those are tough days when, when a business owner has to say, I'm, I'm passing the reins or, or I'm selling or I'm closing, I'm going to enjoy some time off because, and you, you self-admittedly have said this, that this is, this is your hobby, right? Um, to have that stripped, it's, it's kind of your identity. And when that identity gets removed from you, uh, those are, those are, those are going to be, a, that's going to be a tough day. I watched my father struggle with that. Um, there wasn't a, a, an easy transition, you know, and uh, 
Uh, well, I mean, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago when, when we had Marcus on and we were talking about that work-life balance. Right now, that teeter-totter is all on the work end because mm -hmm. we're, we're extremely busy and that's how it should be. Um, but getting, getting better at that work-life balance uh, so that, and I think you said your whip's not going to miss you when you're gone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, those, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tough time. So I want to circle back to a couple things that, that you said, because career path is, um, is I think, you know, cause my, my boy Seth is 20 and there's a lot of decisions when you're 20, man, 21, you're coming out of college or you just got off a mission and you're wondering like the world is your oyster. You can do literally whatever the hell you want. You can go to Amsterdam and hike around for two months. You can, you can do whatever you want. Work at RC Willie. You can jump into mortgage. You can go work with Mark. You can do whatever you want. I don't know. So, is, is Marcus hiring? <laughs> probably not. Okay. He'll take a free apprentice. I'm sure everybody <laughs> needs a free apprentice. So, I mean, when you look at, uh, those decisions, like how does, how, how do you, how, how does a kid know what he or she should do? So that's, that's a great question. And really when you look at where, where I was headed, I was now, I don't like school, but that doesn't mean I'm not good at school. Um, you know, I used to cut class and never go until we'd have a test. And then I'd go take the test. And nine times out of ten, I would score higher on that test than most of my classmates. And it's just because I, I remember the I remember the stuff. It's like US history. I don't I don't need to be refreshed on that crap. So when I was going to school, I um I was going to school. I was gonna be a dentist. And when I started in mortgage, it was definitely a means to an end. I was not going to step away from um, becoming a dentist until I realized I actually like this. I like meeting with people. I like helping people. I like helping people get homes and <clears throat> save money and accomplish goals. And I get to meet a lot of nice people and I get to like make a lot of friends and I get to, you know, interact with cool people and, some people are angry, some people aren't, but for the most part, I really, really, really enjoy my job because it's uh, it's something, number one, that I'm good at, but number two, um, again, I'm a people person. And so when I chose this as my career, I chose what I was good at. Not what I necessarily love, but what I was good at. And that's what I think... When you look at a, a at a career, people often say, "Oh, you got to find a job that you love. You got to do what you love." I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you do what you're good at because then you can do what you love. Yeah, yeah, and I, that the work ethic it's like it's paramount in in my opinion. Um, so, <laughs> I, I mean, I can go off about school. <laughs> But, you know, I, I, hey, I, made, I, I made two terms. Yeah. I used to tell everybody, I'm done with school. They're yeah. like, you're already done? Yeah, I, I'm done. I won't go there. But what I will say is, is this. Consider uh, with a, with a four-year degree. And by, by the way, I'm not, go, go to school, don't go to school, I don't care. But 
consider this. The amount of money and time that it takes you to go and get a degree in whatever field you decide in, you know, sociology seems to be the popular one that I don't know what you do with that, but that's what everyone gets. Um, you spend four years of your life and X amount of money, and then you, you graduate with this, with this piece of paper and degree, and then you can go and find a job that hopefully works for you. But think about, um, maybe going and doing some type of internship and that can be simple. That's not, that's not, I know it's a sexy term, but you just have to go and work alongside somebody in an industry or a field that you feel you might be good at, you know, maybe, maybe it's something you do like, maybe that works out for you, but something that you're good at. Um, like I've been encouraging my daughter, my daughter loves to cook, right? She's at that age where she's got these decisions in front of her. And I'm like, babe, just, you need to go and like spend some time with the chef. Maybe you'll hate cooking in, for a restaurant in a kitchen and like actually doing that part of it. I don't know. And you don't know. But if you go and spend X amount of time with culinary school and X amount of money, and then you realize this sucks, man, that wasn't that, that was kind of a waste of your, your energy to do that. You can still cook at home, right? You can do whatever you want the rest of your life, but doing that as a career so my advice is if you want to build houses, if you want to be in mortgage, if you, hell, if you want to be an attorney, go spend two weeks at a law firm pulling papers off the facts or whatever they do at law firms to see if you even like that environment. Um, I think that is not talked about enough. If you're going to be doing something for 10, 20, 40 years, you ought to find out if you're, if you're good at it, you know, and if you can, can, can stand it, frankly. Um, I think internships or at least, uh, and when I say internship, like everyone looks at uh, a job, let's say, I mean, hell go like, name a job, any job mm, secretary. Okay. Secretary. That's not, let's do <laughs> a yeah. career. Okay. Let's, career. Yeah. Career. Um, uh, let's see. An attorney. There you okay. Go. So go and spend two weeks and shadow an attorney. And this is how you do it. Call him up. Hey, this is Steve. Hey, Steve, what do you need? I want to come and see if I like what, what you do. Well, I, we're not hiring right now. No, you don't have to pay me. Maybe you pay him, right? How about I give you 500 bucks and I come and do stuff for you for two weeks? It's free, you know, or it's going to cost you very little. College isn't free. You're going to spend time there. You're going to shell out money. And so that internship, just going and really finding that out, I think is, it, you got to do that, man. Oh, for sure. I wish someone would have told me that when I was 20. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at my man, Marcus, and, you know, his story about becoming a DJ and carrying in the turntables and spending the time and shadowing the guy and learning. It's like, how valuable is that comparative to shelling out thousands of dollars to go to school to learn to be a DJ. I'm just saying that spending time with people that know what they're doing and being able to be humble enough to be taught, to be teachable. And that's that's one thing, like, I'd give it up to you because that's, when you started in mortgage, that's what you did. You sat at the corner of my desk for months and did exactly what I did and followed me around to appointments and, you know, um, 
That's why when we talk about mortgage, we use so much of the same verbiage is because you learned by shadowing me. It's like Greg Popovich. He has all this, his coaching tree or uh, Bill Belichick and his coaching tree. Um, and when you, you pick your teachers wisely, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad Poor Dad, says that a lot. Choose your teachers wisely. And you want to, if you go to the internet, by God, the internet is such a great tool for education. It is everything you want to know is on the internet, not in necessarily a classroom. But choose your teachers wisely and choose who you follow. And uh, you can get a lot of information for free. Free 99, so we say. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up because I don't want to make these long. But um, with, with your career path, um, you've been doing mortgage now for 22, almost 23. Has it been 23? 23. 23 in years. May. It was 23 years in June. In June. Yeah. Yeah, so long, long time. What would you say is um, the biggest thing that you've learned in your professional career? Not mortgage specific, but what would you say is one of the things that you've learned or a, or a tool or a skill that you've learned over the last 23 years that has been of most value to you or a trait? Um. Honestly, I, that's a, that's a tough, tough question, but I'm going to tell you hard work at the end of the day, um, hard work will take you further than anything. I've always said there's, there's three types of individuals in athletics, but you can, you can spread that out even further that there are the people who are born with God given ability. Those are the you know, the Michael Vicks that just walk out, the Cam Newtons that just take the field and are just amazing. Everything they do, they touch the ball, and you're like, holy crap, who is this guy? And then you have athletes that have to work really, really hard to be good. And those are like, I always I always think of Bill Romanowski, you know, the, the man that was an unstoppable linebacker but had, like, really not a whole lot of God-given ability. Um, Mark Eaton, you know, he was tall. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Then, uh, and then you have the athlete that does both, and those, those are special, and they're few and far between. Um, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, um, LaDainian Tomlinson, these are guys that – are talented and work hard. So you you look at the longevity of careers amongst just those individuals that we just talked about and the hardworking ones, whether they have talent or not, they make they make it last. They have the longevity, whereas the talent will fade. So in life and in careers, that's what I've learned. I've always said I'm the number two guy. I'm I'm the guy that works hard. Not the most talented, but I, I, I work so hard at everything I do that it covers up for the lack of talent. And so that's, uh, that's what I would say. Hard work. Well, and that's the, that's the common thread is whether you have talent, whether you don't have talent, you, 
can always find success in life through being able to grind your way through anything. Um, you said something about goals. Um, I think setting goals that are going to stretch you and maybe uh, are even unattainable. Um, it gives you something to reach for. I, I get up early. Like I'm an early riser. I haven't always been that way, but I'm up at 4.30 every single morning. Doesn't mean I have something to do. I should be riding my bike, but I'm not. Like I get up, I actually do a lot of reading in the morning. And I've never been a reader in my life, but I've found a lot of, uh, I guess, stability mentally, especially with uh, the environment, socially, where we're at right now uh, in reading. I love to read, but I think I'll do that the rest of my life, man. And uh, setting goals on, I, I know you do this, and um, I'm, I, I don't know if I got it from you, but I make a list every single morning. I'm a big list guy. Sit down. I'll I'll write down my list and I'll cross things off as I get them done. And I know you do the same thing because there's about 12 yellow notepads sitting in your office with various checks all over them. But uh, uh, having goals is is key and is paramount. But um, you you are a, a beacon of hard work. And thank you for sharing kind of shortly. You know, there's a lot more details, but sharing your experiences with, with uh, the listeners and with myself. Um, if you feel like you're not a hard worker, what should they do? What can, what can someone do if they're having a hard time finding that internal, external motivation, or if they just weren't born with that, maybe their parents didn't teach them that skill. Uh, what, what would you say can be done for that person? Whether maybe they're young, maybe they're middle-aged, I don't know. What would you say uh, is a way that they can kind of get out of that rut and gain and, and nurture that skill it's uh <clears throat> it's hard to st- like uh, you have to you have to find something inside to push you a little bit further it's uh david goggins talks about that he's when he talks in his book he's like screw motivation motivation sucks there's no such thing because motivation comes and goes and it strips you you know um, you have to, you have to be, you have to find something that's going to like inspire you, I guess. Well, I can't remember what he refers to it as. Well, he does say this. He says, if you're fat, take your shirt off, look in the mirror and tell yourself you're fat. Quit dancing around it. If you're this or you're that, be honest with yourself. His big thing is you got to be honest, be honest with who you are, be honest with what your deficiencies are, be honest with your fears and face them. And I think that is, it is a valuable, valuable statement when it comes to mental uh, illness and uh, uh, finding that happiness in, in your life. So you can, you can feel successful. That's what it is. I just looked it up. It's driven. What may you got to find something that's going to give you drive. Um, As far as hard work is concerned, you got to just, it's just like going to the gym. it's like uh, my associate that works with me now. I'm going to call him an associate. Associate. He's your sidekick. Sidekick. He's my little man. (laughs) Anyway, uh, you know, when, when he looks at me, it's, it's, I'm like, look, dude, you cannot do this. It's like taking your 10 year old to the gym and putting 45 plates on each side and telling him, Hey, you got to bench 185. He's not going to be able to do that. 
So with hard work, it's you got to chip away at it. I've had 40, I'm going to say 40 years of hard work because I remember working when I was four years old. So it's like I've got this ingrained in me already, and I have the ability to do that. It's like, uh, but not everybody can start out exactly there. you got to start out small and just work a little bit harder every day and set those goals, like set obtainable goals. It's like David Goggins talks about. You can't say, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. Well, start with 10 and then keep going from there. You know, if you're, if you're working half-ass and you're working a 40-hour work week, well, work harder 25 hours of that 40 and just work up from there. And that's, that's the thing is find what's going to drive you. Set your goals and then continue to work hard and if you if you do that then it will it'll come to fruition yeah and have some pride in uh uh in what you do and how you do it you know and get get better each day um well thank you for uh, for sharing all that uh with us so um i appreciate the listeners tuning in and uh listening to uh, us chat about uh life experiences and if you haven't uh, subscribed, please subscribe. You'll get notified when new podcasts come out. And uh, throw us a rating. Uh, I know for a fact that there's a lot of people who have listened and have not rated. And I don't know why. Just all you got to do is go to Apple, click the five star, and throw a rating on there because it does help. And as we grow this podcast, uh, we, uh, we, need, we need those ratings. We want those ratings. So let us know. Uh, how you like this episode and uh, the previous ones as well. So thank you everybody. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye.